I stay down. Girl, I always rather stay down with my dead one. Rather stay down. Yeah. You're now tuned in to the Stay Down Podcast, man. I'm your host, Jay Sims. All right. Your girl loves me like with a deep passion, but she's afraid to tell you because she know you a jealous ass nigga. Listen, that was Katrinata. Um, that was his Tiedra Moss mix. All right, that was the Katrinata mix. Listen, man. All right, welcome. All right, thank you for staying down with me, man. All right. Um, this 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 week is definitely gonna be a little different. Um trying to get you know what i'm saying i'm trying to get a lot of interviews and good conversation um into my practice routine you know what i'm saying uh i'm trying to get my interview game slash conversation game as as well you know what i'm saying as my podcasting game you know i want to be well-rounded out here as Brian, as a Brian, or as a Kobe, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so you can't really check me. Listen, man. Um, with that being said and understood, man, I had my homegirl, Lisa Lou. Uh, we had a good conversation, man. We talked about her exes, um, her sampling Kanye for her late, uh, um, her past project was at Free Right Confessions and things of that nature, man. Um, Real cool conversation, man. Uh, yeah, I'm going to definitely try to get episode four out as soon as possible, man. In the next week, week here or two, like, for real. But I'm definitely, like, going to drop these conversations slash interviews um, whenever I can, man. I love, you know what I'm saying? Going out and like you know what I'm saying, sharing opinions, really having good conversation, man. It's food for thought, man. With that being said, man, like, this is the one with the salute. It's on the corner of Nevada. Yeah, so like Nevada is like that square. Yeah, that I'm, yeah. It's like in. It's a perfect corner. square. Nah. Nah. It's like a triangle. It's a triangle, right? Kind of. And like it's not really like a square and a triangle together. Nevada. How was that? I was like in Nevada, like uh, growing up. Reno stands for Run Every Nigga Out. So Run Every Nigga <laughs> Out. <laughs> that's why I'm here now. Run Every. Okay. Did you experience racism while you said that? Like I'm like um, Run Every Nigga Out. That's just. Um. Like okay. So like when I moved to the South, a lot of people were like, "How can you live in Alabama? It's so racist there." And then I was like. Personally, I never, I can't say that I've, like, experienced any, like, extreme overt racism or anything like that, but where I'm from, everything is very under the rug, so, like, racism happens where I'm from, but it's, like, very, oh, you are too experienced for this job, when they really want to be, like, you too black for this job. At least here, they'll be, like, you too black for this job. I'd be like, okay, because I can't change that. But when you have, like, covert racism... It makes you question yourself as a person because you don't know is it because i'm black or is it legitimately because something i'm lacking so like i feel like the that mental struggle that you go through when you come from a place that seems like it's not racist but you know it's really underlyingly racist it makes you question yourself in different ways versus me being here like if it, they'll tell you oh it's because you're a nigger oh okay i can't change that i'll take that cool and so it's never like this second guessing of 
who you are as a person. You just know, well, that's something I can't change. Like, yeah. I'm black. So. Yeah. Because when did you move? When did you? I, was... I didn't move to Alabama until I was in college. So okay. I moved to Alabama in 2005 uh, to go to school. Okay. Um, that's at UA? No, I went. I started off at Skiggy. Skiggy. And then I finished at Auburn. So okay. War Eagle. Um, War Eagle. Golden cool. Tiger for life as well. But where I grew up, so, like, I was born in Reno, and when I was in kindergarten, like, a little bit after kindergarten, we moved to this very, very small town in northern Nevada called Elko. Elko. I was the only black kid in my school, period. Me and my mom were one of five, like, two of five, maybe four black people in the entire town. The only other people of color were Indians, like... Native yeah. American. Yeah. Because it was just a Cowboys and Indians place. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that was that was strange. And then my dad is white. So going places with my dad, it was really weird because why this white man got this little black girl? Exactly. So. Is he the babysitter? Right. Is. Or why? Yeah. He got the maid's daughter. <laughs> like so, so then, so yeah, so scenario. it used to be, that was interesting growing up. But the funny thing is, and I always tell people this um, because I think that colorism is so funny Be, for the simple fact that I never knew like the idea of me not being quote unquote black enough or the idea of me really even being light skinned for real for real never came up until I moved back to the city. I moved back to the city when I was um, I was just about to end the fifth grade. So going like like last like month of the fifth grade and then it was going to be the sixth grade okay. and I moved back to the city and I was around like black kids again like I went to a very mixed school um and it wasn't until then that I ever heard that I wasn't black enough and it wasn't until I was around other black people that it was like oh you're not black for real I had never heard that because where I came up because I was the only one and this funny thing is, like, black people don't understand. And one of my best friends, she's she's white. And we had this conversation. She was like, why do y'all care about, like, dark skin and light skin? She was like, because you do, you guys do understand that to white people, y'all are all black, right? Exactly. Like, right? we acknowledge the fact that there are different shades, but you're still all black. That shade. That shade right. thing is Right. And so, that. like, they were like, so she was like, I just don't understand why y'all make such a big deal about it because like to us like all y'all are black yeah and that's how it really was because it wasn't until i was around other black people that i was oh you too light-skinned or oh you're not black enough and i had never heard that before because white people don't see it that way they just like okay you black i agree with that i do agree with that we do pay like real close attention to be light-skinned and dark-skinned and that's the thing like when you come like i have a like i have a, a track and it's called Marilyn Monroe. One of my favorite, well, one of my favorite pieces that I've ever done. Um, and it's kind of like my ode to like dark girls. And it's, I've never been against, everybody has preference. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with preference. But there is something wrong with preference if, if it comes at the expense of another group. So like I posted a thing on Facebook and it was like, you, when you ask a black man why he likes white girls, it's, it's always because of why he doesn't like black women. It's never to say like, oh, I love, I love Sharon Just because. because I love her beautiful blonde hair. Yeah. Or because um, I love her 
porcelain skin. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. It's always because, oh, black women here be nappy. Or, oh, it's always at the degradation of someone else. Black and woman. that is something that, and even as even as a mixed girl or as a light, lighter skinned woman, like people will always come up to you and be like, oh, you look exotic. What do you mix with? Well, love exotic. Well, women. I mean, I'm definitely for the culture, right? And well, and then my thing is like, I'm not necessarily against that, but do not denounce my blackness or attribute my exotic look to something else. Because I've seen some very exotic looking African women, like straight out of Africa, and that's the thing. It doesn't have to be attributed to something else. And growing up, growing up being mixed and having a lot of different friends, like when I was with my white friends, when I'd be with my white friends. They'd always attribute like my good characteristics to my whiteness and try to separate like the bad things. So it would be like, oh, you know, them black girls being so loud. And I'd be like, what the fuck? And they'd be like, oh, well, you're not that kind of black person. Mm. And so it's like, and I was always really smart. Like I was in honors. I graduated a year early from high school. Is this still in Nevada? But yeah, okay. still in Nevada. Like I grew up, grew up in, uh, so like always in smart class only obviously only black kid in the smart class and they'd be like oh it's cause you you know it's cause your dad's white no it's cause I'm fucking smart like you might that be nice have, and that's the thing it doesn't like, have anything to like do like you can't be nice and but right and so like that was that's one of the things where you always attribute attribute this positive aspect to something other than my blackness and that's the thing when the when I walk out into the world the world doesn't see that my mom is black and my dad is seemingly white my dad is jewish mexican but um they don't see that my dad is seemingly white because he looks like a white guy um they don't see that you know that i grew up in the suburbs they don't see that i have a master's degree they don't see that i'm extremely intelligent i have a very lucrative career they don't see any of those things they see a black woman so at the end of the day, like don't attribute you can't attribute all those positive things to me being oh well you're mixed so that's why you don't act like that. No, nah, my, my my parents just raised me a certain way. Like that's and right. it doesn't have to do with anything else other than the way that I was raised. That's right. That's fine. And and we judge you for you. And we saying all that to say logic is trash. Trash. <laughs> that you were like um really advanced in school like um, AP AP classes yeah um so I went to the only uh the only school in the city which was a like a city school which would have been considered a city school which y'all call it here like if they went to like a Birmingham city school yeah. I went to a city school um yeah, we got 485A 6A we got like well no school. like we had like yeah we had that for in terms of like playing ball and stuff like that but in terms of like oh you, you go to a like ghetto school you go to the hood school like i technically went to what would be considered a hood school okay. but we were the only school in the city that had the ib program so um ib program what is that so it's like international baccalaureate program it's above ap it's like a, a step above ap i know that hoover has it um i think ramsey has it there's a couple schools here in birmingham that have it but um we were the only school in the city to have that and so i did do I mean, for a while, they would be tripping on homework. There's, like, a lot of standards that the follow, the teachers have to follow. You have to give, like, for every IB class you have, you have to get an hour worth of homework a night. Like, and I was an athlete, and I was in the streets trying to do everything else. And um, 
because I wasn't a studier. I'm just a naturally smart person for yeah. the most part. You wore many hats. Many hats. <laughs> right. So thank God for that. But um, so like I did IB and I did uh, AP classes as well and honors and I just got to a point. I had a lot of drama in high school with the folks that like I thought were my friends. So. I um, decided to graduate a year early, so I graduated a year early with honors, um, with, you know, I'm going to toot my own horn for a little bit. I graduated with honors a year early with a 4.23 GPA. Okay. Uh, like, every school that I applied to, I had a full-ride scholarship, um, and I ended up at Tuskegee. <laughs> and, um, Why Tuskegee? Superstition. Superstition. So I did a report when I was in the second grade about George Washington Carver, mm-hmm. third grade maybe, and I don't know why, but it stuck with me, so I was like, I'm gonna go to Tuskegee, like, that's what I'm gonna do. And then, so when I was applying to schools, I had applied to like nine different schools. And um, Tuskegee was one of the first that I got a response to, and they were giving me a full tuition scholarship. And you had to, like, you had until a certain date to like accept the scholarship and pay your non-refundable deposit. And so um, I was. I told my mom, so I was like, I'm going to wait a little bit because I want to see, like, it's not necessarily my top school. Like, I want to see if these other schools come in. And so, like, it was getting closer to deadline. And right before I had got that letter from Tuskegee, I had sent out an application to UMass. I was trying to go to UMass Amherst. Okay. And I got a letter back saying that I, well, no, I got my package back. I had sent some stuff in. Because I got a letter saying that I was missing some pieces of my application. And I got that stuff back because I didn't put enough stamps on it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a sign. You know, growing up, my granny was a voodoo priestess. So, like, superstition and all of that is, like, kind of in my blood. So, I'm superstition. I'm superstitious. I believe in signs, everything like that. So, I was like, this is a sign. I was like, I got to go to Stiggy. I told my mom, pay the deposit. I was like, accept the scholarship. We go in. Send it out the next day, the next day after we send our deposit out and everything like that. The next day, I got a letter from U- uh, UMass Amherst saying that I was accepted and I had received a full ride presidential scholarship. And I was like, nope, I can't go. It was a sign. I got to go to Tuskegee. I got to go to Tuskegee. You got to go to Tuskegee yeah. now. And I had never, and that was the thing, I never did a campus tour, mm-hmm. um, nothing like that. And had I done a campus tour, I would have never went to Tuskegee <laughs> because when I was when I was driving out there, like, because we drove from Nevada mm-hmm. to Alabama. And when my mom was dropping me off, I had never seen something so country in my life, like, ever in life. Um, but, no, that's where I ended up. And spring of 2007, I started at Auburn, graduated in 2009, and then went to grad school um, in, at University of Central Florida in Orlando. How was Auburn? I mean, how was um, Tuskegee? Every class um, was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely I went for that black college experience, especially yeah. coming from a city where there aren't a lot of black people. I think like the population in Reno is like probably like ten percent black, maybe. Like it's very small. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely went like I wanted to have the black college experience. That's definitely a culture change. Like, <sighs> is it to go from being the only black person? The only black person in your class yeah. to being surrounded by all black people. Everybody but it was 
it was kind of a lot to be honest like if I'm gonna be 100% honest like in the beginning it was a lot like I was like I don't know if I like this at all and I'm not gonna lie like a part of me I know there's a there's always a big conversation about HBCUs and PWIs Mm. and one thing I can say and one, I messed up because I probably I should not have went to Tuskegee for what I went to school for. So my uh, my major is psychology. Okay. And I had actually gotten into Howard, but my mom was like, "Nah, you are not going to DC. That's not happening." DC is lit <laughs> she's right now. Like, she's like, "No, that's not happening." Diddy would have been jigging in your classrooms. Well, and then not only that, like. Howard is a liberal arts university, so it would have been better for what I was going to school for. Tuskegee is known for nursing, architecture, and engineering. Okay. And, like, their business school has come up as well. So, like, liberal arts is definitely not what they're known for. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I kind of messed myself up on that, on the education aspect of it. But one of the things we hear about a lot when we when they have those conversations not only do i think that it's very important that you do you're around people that look like you absolutely and if and when i have children i will and i would definitely encourage them to go to hbcu i encourage kids now to go to hbcu because i just believe that like you should go where you're accepted and not tolerated exactly so i definitely believe that but on the other hand HBCUs can't just be about a cultural experience. And what I mean by that is for an entire psychology program, I only had three or four professors when I was at Tuskegee, like for the entire program. Mm. And so when I went to Auburn, and granted it's a bigger school, has more resources and funds and things like that, but it better prepared me for grad school and taking that next step than I feel like Tuskegee ever could have. And it's one thing to have a cultural experience, which I think is great, but when you're going to school, you're going for education. Like, I'm not paying for a cultural experience. I'm not paying however many thousand dollars, $30,000 a year for a super lit football game. That's not what I'm paying for. I'm paying for education. And so... Are you paying for the experience, though? Yeah, you're paying for it. Like, you want that experience, but at the end of the day, you're not going to college just for experience. Exactly. If that's the case, you could just be a bum on the yard. People, locals came and kicked it on the yard all the time. You want the experience, just go just go to stuff. That's it, Tuskegee. Awesome. Yeah, well, at, well, anywhere, yeah. any college town, you're going to have locals just exactly. kicking it with the college folks, but... Definitely, and you would be careful a couple of if, But if that's all you're going for is an experience, like, there's no reason for you to pay for that. Just move to the town and go kick it on, like, go kick it on the yard. Yard. Just yeah. do that. But the education and the resources. I'm glad you Yes. Got both. And I, I'm very glad that I got both because when I got to Auburn, don't get me wrong, Auburn was cool, but there's nothing. And I've been to Auburn football game on an Auburn LSU weekend, but there is nothing like a Tuskegee homecoming game. There is nothing like, you know, uh, being in the shed, under the shed. Like, there's nothing like that. Yeah. And I don't care if it's. 87,000 of your closest friends at Jordan Hare Stadium it still don't match the vibe that you get at a, like an all black football game the vibration. but the resources and the educational experience 
need to match that cultural experience. There's no reason why I should have had to stand in line for eight hours to get registered for classes. There's no reason why I would have to, like, wear directors of housing were openly lying to you because they don't want to help you solve your problems. Like, like, we... We love those. Right. And that's the thing, like, (laughs) we should not be our own biggest hurdles. And that's really sometimes how I felt at Tuskegee. Like, I don't want to have to call my mom to call these people to fuss. Like, I'm I'm in college. I'm supposed to be able to start acting like an adult. But the only way I can get things done if I have my mom call, bitch and moan, and create a fuss so that's my only thing and I really hope that now that there's a bigger push for uh for black students to go to HBCUs that HBCUs take this as a moment to really step those resources up for um alumni to to you know support the schools that they graduated from not just during homecoming but all the time because they need that money they need those resources a lot of these schools are private so they need those boosters they need alumni resources to be able to provide the resources that create retention that make students want to stay for not just the cultural experience but the education as well and it needs to just like and that's the thing it shouldn't be it shouldn't be you're choosing between one or the other when they have the capability to do both and that's just kind of how I feel about it but I love my time at Skiki like yeah. <laughs> nobody can tell me that I ain't like I still don't I don't, I don't get down with ASU yeah. ASU like Alabama when I go to uh, when I go to classic it's, it's definitely man, a good time ain't yeah, ain't no love for either of them teams. I can't stand neither of them because exactly. I'm still a Golden Tiger at heart, you know. Exactly. So, um, but just to see the like the camaraderie, like right, and that's what, and so and that's my thing. Like the cultural experience is definitely and it's definitely something I appreciate, and I'm very glad that I started at an HBCU. And um, but I'm very happy with the education that Auburn afforded me as well. And then don't get me wrong, I had some amazing professors when I was at uh, Tuskegee. One of my favorite professors period in all of my college experience was uh one of my Tuskegee professors Dr. Basket he looked like Freddy Krueger but, um, but and I remember him and shout out Dr. Basket but because um, he was pretty old so he might be gone but um be safe. right be safe. I hope <laughs> we're gonna hope hopefully you are still breathing somewhere but um yeah like I definitely appreciate the experience so much but it was just it I think that like I said I think that HBCUs really have a prime opportunity to really provide the educational experience that black students need as well as that cultural experience okay talk about your transition to Auburn to me it wasn't really it wasn't hard because it was like the same as my high school for real easy Um, like the makeup like the makeup of the classrooms were the same yeah um I think the biggest thing, it was weird because like ski is so small, so it would be like maybe like 20. I think the biggest class I had was like maybe like a, a hundred people, 120 people. Then to go to Auburn and like my biology class got like 300 and something people. So that was weird. But yeah. for me, that wasn't a big deal because I ain't one of those like, oh, I need the teacher to help me yeah. or anything like that. I ain't going did. to know office hours. I don't care about none of that. Um, I didn't care about any of that, but no, it was really cool, and um, I made some of my lifelong friends at at Auburn, definitely, like, my best friend, like, in the world, um, 
my sister I met her at Auburn and um, a few but I also made some lifelong friends at Skiggy too like I'm still still really close friends with my um with my roommate from my freshman year at Tuskegee like I was just in her wedding in May uh, we still talk and we visit each other and stuff like that and my one of my best friends now I know him from Tuskegee so it's just like um it's an experience but the way that I feel about places in general wherever you are because like I said I've been I've been to three schools at this point uh, being at Skiggy, Auburn, and UCF. UCF. And um, every experience is what you make it for yeah. real. Like, like I had... Did you stay on campus at UCF? Uh, no, nah, because I was in grad school. So I stayed off campus. But, um, so like, and I only went to like school at night. But I would still go to like, you, like the re- like undergrad functions and stuff like that. Okay. Because I'm, I was young still. Like, yeah. I was in grad school. I was 21. Like, I had just turned 21 when I started Jesus. grad school. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so like, I mean, but it was when I moved to Orlando that I really got into spoken word and started doing poetry. So I was on the scene all the time, like doing shows and, um, everything like that. So like my, so like my social life was ridiculous at the time. Cause I was going to school full time, working like three jobs and still performing like all of the time. And what, when did when did you start writing? Like what what what? I came out the womb with the pen. What you, you talking about? Came out the womb with the pen. Um, she came out the womb. When did you write your first verse? Uh, your first. What is it on? I won my first poetry competition when I was in the third grade. So yeah, I've literally been writing for as long as I can remember. Like I don't remember a time where I where I didn't write I don't remember that time like like even now I'm not actively writing like I'm trying to but I'm not actively writing but even in those like I write small verses or I might write a stanza here and there is my brain is always thinking in that manner like I keep a like I keep a dry erase board outside my shower so I can jot stuff down because like my brain is always working like that and there's always something there even if it's just a line and I might like I might gnaw on a line and like just chew like I'll get a dope line in my head um and I'll just chew on that like I might chew on that for months and then all of a sudden here comes a poem or whatever the case is so um so yeah like I don't remember a time where I didn't write for real so I can't really say like when the first time I can tell you the first time I ever wrote a poem that I felt was worthy of sharing, yeah. like performing, I was a sophomore in college. My boyfriend had just left me. We had just broke up. He had broke my little heart. Mm. Um, and it was called Haven't Finished a Verse. Haven't Finished a Verse. Yeah. And it was talking about, and I still remember the damn poem, um, it was like, uh, I haven't finished a verse since you left. Because what's the alphabet when um, when B is no longer around? And my boyfriend's name at the time where when we broke up, uh, his name was Brian. And my real name is Alyssa, so it was A-B. And so and it was like, um, so I guess the alphabet is all fucked up too, just like me. And it was like... We're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. We're we not going to give you too much. We're not going to... Oh, that joint's so, so damn old because I done been out of... Shit, sophomore. So that was twelve years ago, yeah. and that was the first time I wrote a poem that I like 
that was actually one of the first poems that I ever performed as a spoken word artist okay. was that. What did you perform that? Um, I was actually, I, it was a little open mic in Auburn, mm-hmm. to be honest. I seen that. Did you have on black? black? No, probably not. No? That wasn't the one? Because it was, shit, that was, like, yeah, that was, like, in 2008. 2008. Yeah, so it was a long time ago. That was a golden year. Um, so, yeah, so, that was when I first, but it was when I got to Orlando in 2009. On some real humbug shit, like on some real light, like real light skin acting shit that I I stumbled upon. And shout out to my Koha family if they ever hear this. Um, I stumbled upon an open mic, so I moved to Orlando. I didn't know anybody when I moved to Orlando. Is this when you were going to UCF? When I yeah, okay. when I started grad school, I didn't know anybody. This is two thousand two thousand nine August. Okay. So, um, I moved to Orlando. Mm-hmm. I'm at the mall one day. I meet this dude, right? Me and a dude kick it, and we're just we just rapping about like whatever, getting to know each other. And I'm like, yeah, I like poetry and stuff. And he was like, well, my homeboy he DJs at an open mic spot. And I was like, cool, let me get the flyer. So he gives me the flyer. So in my apartment complex, <laughs> there's this dude like so like I stayed like in the apartment complex. I stayed like at the end of the complex where it's like a dead end, right? Mm-hmm. So, a dude that stayed in the apartment, like, next to me, he was trying to holler at me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yo, we need to kick, we should kick it tonight. And I was like, I can't kick it with you. I'm going to this open mic. Mm. And that was the only reason. And the, the problem was, because he stayed in the same, like, if I didn't leave, he would know. Yeah. So, that was the only reason I went. Ooh. And <laughs> because I didn't want to kick it with the dude. Yeah. And after I went, I went back every week. Until that show stopped. Well, and that was probably like a year later. Yeah. Um, I went the first time. I, I didn't perform. I was just like kind of checking out the scene or whatever. Got to peep it out. Didn't really like talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, and then, but the host had kind of like peeped me. Because, you know, you can always tell fresh blood. Especially dudes can, niggas can always tell fresh definitely, blood. <laughs> like, definitely have that sense. Like, that you sense can always well. tell, like, where the fuck she from? from? Where mm-hmm. she been? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, he, people, he was like, hey, how you doing? Just, like, spoke to me. And I was like, yeah, you know, this seems pretty cool, whatever. And so, um, like, I came back the next week and he was like, yo, I feel like you a writer. And I was like, yeah, I write. He was like, I want you to share something next time. So the next week, I went back and I and I did a pe I did a poem. I did haven't finished a verse. Haven't finished, okay. And um he walked me out, he was like, yo. And like the host, he's his name is Am- Ambrose Cavender. Um a- aka Adrian Scott. I'm telling you government name, sorry boo. Um like he was like, yo, you got it. He's like, you got it for real. He was like, you could be a monster. And so, like, I just kind of, like, we would start writing together, and, like, there were other people there, and it was kind of like we just created, like, this little, this little artistic, like, just group of artists. Like, we had a couple musicians, but, like, most of us were poets. Mm. And it was the most dope vibe ever because it was, like, the ultimate competition, but it was in the best way. So, like, I could write a piece about something, 
and the homies would be like, yo, I'm finna write something about the same shit, about shit all over that thing. Yeah. So it was a, it was really an iron sharpens iron thing. So we was all getting better. We was all like, and that was the thing. Like it was, it was our open mic. So like we spit as much as we want. We doing duet pieces. Like shout out to my girl, Kyla. Oh. One of my most fucking petty poems I did with her, um, ever. Um, and that's the thing. And like, we just, and from that, we just all became like, fucking monsters okay. like just because it was really iron sharpened iron and we were always around the art like we were all like like I said I could have gone to a show every night if I wanted to like there was an open mic almost every night yeah. and then we was hosting shows and then like or our friend was a hosting show or something like that so it was just it was just always something going on and we were always really feeding off of each other and that competitive nature to get better to see each of us get better and that's really what we did and so that's, you definitely stayed down and that's um, and you know and I still like Ambrose is still like my brother uh, from another mother like I just seen him last summer um, and like I still stay in contact with like like I said like my homegirl college she done moved to Atlanta she's a real big poet now mm-hmm. um like uh slams frequently just like a lot of our folks are just still doing the art and they're just we're just doing it on a different scale now because it's kind of like really like we we really helped each other grow as artists and that's one of the things that um i definitely try to do here in birmingham like speaking of that after after that stint i was just about to ask you when 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 was the transition from florida to birmingham Okay, so I graduated from UCF in 2011. Mm-hmm. I moved here June 2011. Mm-hmm. I got a job. I work downtown. I don't tell people where I work um, because I work for the government. I don't be well, one well, people well, know what I do. Yeah, we'll um, that um, but okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that he knows this because I don't think that I've ever told him this, but. So when I first moved here, like I was pretty excited. I had actually met a local poet, Glenwood Herbs. Glenwood Herbs. Uh, ball the, black dude. Yeah, man. No, not no, that's the homie though. That's the that homie. is the homie. But his name is Glenwood Herbs. He's like a dope, like one of the probably like one of the um, staple poets in Birmingham, right? You definitely got to get him on the podcast. And, and um, he had come to Florida. I met him in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I had let him know, and I'm like, so I hit him up when I moved here, and I was like, yo, I met you in Florida, cool, whatever. So I had been here for a couple months, hadn't really stumbled on any shows or anything like that. He was a who that he was a host of a show, and I kept missing the show, kept missing the show, and uh, so like he hit me up and was like, yo, you should come out. He hit me up on Facebook, was like, yo, you should come out, like come spit, and I was like, bet that. Is this at Magnolia? What? No, it was actually at, I want to say it was at Boss. Boss. Ultra Lounge, like Ultra downtown. Downtown. Yeah. downtown. That's where I, that's where I was, was, I'm pretty sure. But. Okay. Funny thing is, so I get there, right? Mm-hmm. Now, he don't, like, he posted on my wall. So I went and, like, looked to be like, is this just, like, advertisement? Are you legit, like, asking me to come out? And he, like, I was the only person from what I saw whose wall he posted on. And I was like, okay, cool, bet. He knows I'm a poet. I'm going to come out there. Mm-hmm. So I get there. He's outside. 
right? He's <laughs> and he, he's waiting for you. I, no, I get there. He's outside, and I'm like, "Yo, what's up?" And yeah. this nigga looks at me like he got no fucking clue who I am. And I'm like, "We be doing it. I don't know why." I and swear so, to God, I don't know why. Thing. And this is my thing, but no, this Birmingham is my folks thing. Do that. We act no, like we don't know each other. But this is we the thing. Now, and legit, like it maybe have been a minute. Yeah. Cool. But if nothing else, I'm a cute face. So I would think, so I've become accustomed to people being friendly just because I'm a cute face. And maybe that's wrong, but whatever. So I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? You know, and he was like, oh, okay. He was like, so are you getting on the mic? And I was like, yeah. Because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, nigga, you hit me up. And was like, come spit. And so I'm like, yeah. And he was like, so like, are you a singer or something? And I'm like, no, I'm a poet. He's like, oh, okay, cool, but totally blows me off. And like, I'm like, uh, shitty. So I go inside, you know. He calls me up. I get up. I rip it. Like I rip my little set. I do like two or three poems and I rip it. Yeah. And like a little bit after I finish, I have to leave. So I'm leaving. He's like, yo, you need to come back. And in my mind, I'm like, man, fuck you. You like try to shit on me outside. That's what I'm saying. Like, like you just trying to shit on me outside. And then now you see what I can do. Now you be like, oh, you need to come back. You know, yeah. in my head, I'm like, fuck you. And now I'm you like, want to sign. Yeah, and yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. So I didn't perform again for like forever. Mm. Like forever. Next time I performed, I want to say it was at Bards and Brews. Uh, for the Bur- it's a Birmingham Public Library puts oh. on uh, poetry and free beer first Fridays of the month. Okay, it's um, downtown. Yes, but well, the venue changes. Sometimes it's at the downtown library, but sometimes it changes. Like for example, shameless plug, I will be the feature poet November first for Bards and Brews, and that will be. Um, that will be at the Birmingham Improv Theater downtown. November 1st. So, so, like, I go there and I meet a poet out there. Call, uh, his name is Voice Porter. Brian Voice Porter. Okay. So, um, long-running poet. And he's cool. Like, and I like the vibe of, um, of Bards and Brews. But I just don't really get into the scene for real. Like, I just, I just ain't feeling it. Like, there aren't too many artists that I felt like I was vibing with. Yeah. I was writing like crazy, but I just didn't really have an itch to perform. Mm. So, fast forward to like, so that's like 2011, 2012. Fast forward to 2015. 2015. Yes. Okay. Um, poet, there's two uh, tag team poets. Um, poet is the Queen and Poet Carrie B. They're uh, a husband and wife duo poet. Poet, poetry duo here. Okay. They're doing a show um, for Valentine's Day and they asked me to come out. Mm-hmm. And I come out and I perform and it goes really good. It felt really good. And so they're like, yo, we want you to be a feature for one of our shows. And I'm like, cool, I'll do that. So I do a feature for them. Um, that's like 2015, like in the summer of 2015, I do a feature. And um, maybe 2016, I do a feature and it goes really well and they're like hey you want to be a part of our poetry troupe they do kingdom Inc. poetry um kingdom kingdom Inc. entertainment and so i'm like you know what i think i could do this and that's really when 
I started being more serious in a Birmingham poetry scene. So it wasn't, so I had been here for a while, but I just wasn't super feeling it. Like, okay. um, you had to get to be what? Well, it's not even that. Like, you know, poetry ain't any different than any other, like, art, artist, artistry or anything like that in terms of just like in the music, um, on a music scene. It could be really clicky. It's a lot of egos. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fucking drama. Yeah. Even when I was in Orlando, it was a lot of fucking drama. Yeah. Like, so... For sure. Right. And so that's always going to happen. And I just wasn't really with it. And I didn't really feel super inspired by um, a lot of the places that I was going. And not to say that the poetry wasn't good or the poets weren't good. It just... It just wasn't my bag. And I really missed my poetry family in Orlando. Like, I really missed them. Because we had really created a unique dynamic between us. And I had missed that. But I was still writing like crazy. I just didn't have any desire to share. And I don't know what it was about um, Queen and Carrie. But they brought something out of me again. And I 100% will always appreciate them for that. And then so I was like, yo, I want to do a project. So I put out my first project in 2017. Which was um, free write confessions. Mm-mm, that was my second. That was your second. That was actually my second, and a lot of people don't know that because like my following wasn't really that big when I put out my first project. And my first project was about time, about and it time. was a double project mm-hmm. where it was an album and a book, mm-hmm. and they came out together. The book had there were some things that were on both. But the book had like 30 poems and the album had like 15 and only like five of them overlapped. So you got like a lot of work because in my head, I was like, this is the first and last time I'm doing a project. So y'all going to get all this shit. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the problem is people liked it. And that that album actually won some awards, um, like best spoken word album. Um couple times uh like I would that album got me nominated well like doing shows for that album got me nominated for an album music award um so like it it was it was a lot more successful than I expected to be like I really didn't expect anybody to like really fuck with it um just because I mean I, I understand that poetry is different and yeah. like what I do is really different like you remind me of a Wale like I'm not gonna lie to you no Wale. like in some of his mixtapes he do he like does he do the, the same thing like smooth, he do spoken smooth, word you know over tracks and, so that's a thing right so definitely um, so yeah so we love Wale I am the way that I am the way I am the way that I am and I wanted you to understand that with that project when I decided I was going to do free write confessions, totally different, a hundred percent different. One, it wasn't just about me anymore. It was about me understanding that other people relied on my gift now. Mm-hmm. Two, I wanted people to see that I wasn't just this sad, bitter whatever you know what I'm saying that I could be fun I could be sexy like I, there's so many aspects of my personality and I wanted to show that with free write confessions and so like the title really um the title really explains it a lot of those are free writes they were just like things that I wrote like just like let me write about this thing so it was just like if I had to confess things to people these are the things that I would confess mm-hmm. so um that project for me was a lot a lot more fun to do because and I think that people felt it a lot more because 
it hits like there's not a person that you can't tell me that there's not a piece on there that you can relate to like you might not be able to relate to all of it but there's something on there that you're gonna be able to feel whether it's you know you an outcast and you're a weirdo and you're cool with that genocide of individuality is for you um if you're a man who's been heartbroken but you still love your old lady like she the last last thing on this earth you know, love like religion is for you. Like, there is something on here for everybody. If you just petty as fuck, listen to me. It's for you. I like, love listen to me. I'm not going to that. Like, so, um, so, like, there's something on here. And I, and I really made that the goal. And my other goal was I just wanted people to know, like, I have, which is why I'm struggling with what I want to do for my next project, because... I never want people to feel like they're getting the same thing over and over and over. Every time I want people to see my growth, I want them to see that I put that extra oomph in there for y'all and that like I like I am acknowledging that I'm inspired by you or that I inspire you and I want you to see how that inspires me to be better every time. And that's always my goal. Like in in every aspect of my life is to always keep growing. And I'm not gonna put out a project until I feel like it can top the last project and you feel like you're getting something different. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want you to just get something in a different package. Like people could be like, oh, people always talk about like, yo, like Jeezy, every, you know, every, uh, every, um, every album he put out, he talked about the same shit. I don't want people to feel that way about me. Like, I don't, but I don't want to veer so far off that you're looking at me like I'm Lil Wayne putting out a fucking rock album. Yeah. So I want to be able to stay in my lane and be true to who I am as an artist. Yeah. But, but his Jeezy score fans love that, like. Right. Jesus right. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I love Jeezy. That's my good boo. But. That's your boo. But like, I just want people to know that I'm evolving. Yeah. And growing as an artist, as a woman, every time. And, but that I, I want I want them to get something that is worth the support and the money that they give me for that project, you know. Okay. And that's my biggest thing. Like you don't have to support me. Like when people come out to my shows, I know that there's a million other places that you could be. Fuck, you could be at home. Sometimes I want to be at home. Right. But you're here listening to me because you want to hear what I have to say or you're touched by what I have to say. And I don't think that people, because I'm real cool, like, and I'm real, like, kind of standoffish a lot. And I don't think that people understand how much that legitimately means to me. Like, it legitimately holds a very special place in my heart that people fuck with me at all. Like, that people support me the, the way they do. Like, it means the legitimately it means the world to me for real for real that people like that you want to fucking talk to me like who am i because i'll be like who am i i'm just i'm Lissa. like Lissa. you know what i'm saying i see so, i think i seen your stuff on ig um i think you just put a video out uh, i did just put a video out uh, shout out to 2k um shout out to also hd i think uh, yeah also okay. hd for um allowing me to be a part of his one mic series mm-hmm. Uh, I was the second. Uh, Carlos Charm was the first okay. of Monastery. Like, uh, great video. Um, yeah, I was real nervous. Okay. I can. T- <laughs> I was real. I was. I didn't. I wasn't nervous. Um, like doing a video for real. Like, I don't care. I do photo shoots, and a lot of them are scantily clothed. So being in my drawers didn't bother me at all. Mm-hmm. Actually, the thing that I got nervous the most about was uh, reciting the poem in the mirror. 
because I don't do that. I don't ever watch myself talk for real, so that was really awkward. Okay. Like that made me kind of nervous, but um, yeah. Other than that, but no, that that video actually like blew me out the water. My biggest was that your direction in that video, or um, you- it was my it was uh obviously Al directed it, but um, I I had a vision for what I wanted. And he took it up a notch. Okay. And he perfected it for real. Like, it couldn't have come out any better. My biggest um, anxiety with the video was I've worked very hard uh, maintaining a certain image and ensuring that that the first thing that people recognize me for is my talent and my work ethic. I was just about to ask you. And being a woman... <clears throat> That can sometimes be that can sometimes be difficult on its own. Yeah. When you're semi-attractive, that's especially difficult. And my biggest thing is I never wanted anybody to look at me and be like, "Oh, she like she got that like she got that opportunity because she cute." I wanted people to be like, "Yo, she a dope artist she nice. and she cute." Yeah. Like I always wanted my my looks to be a bonus and not the thing that I was known for. So when I came out with the video. That was kind of something that made me nervous because I knew that visuals is going to tap a whole group of people that probably never fucked with me before, like never heard any of my work before that. And it was kind of like, do I really want this to be the first video that or the first piece of work that they hear from me where like that shit is explicit. It is very much an erotic poem. It's probably one of the most erotic poems I've ever written. Definitely one of the most um, explicit poems I've ever written. Mm -hmm. That's the video for... Yeah, Netflix and Chill. Netflix and Chill. So... A very cool title. So... Netflix yeah. and Chill. What, um... Mm, my personal favorite is this. Um, Alyssa taught me. Mm-hmm. As I said, um... Do you get influenced by Kanye? Uh, no, not really. A nigga no. like me. Uh-uh. Ain't yeah, supposed uh, to be getting no so like uh, this. God Dark Twisted Fantasy had just come out. Mm. And I was chilling with the homies mm. and we was listening to uh to Yeezy Tommy or whatever. And um my homies was like they would be and they used to call me poet and they'd be like, Poet, it'd be so hilarious if you did like a Lizzie taught me. Mm. So funny story on how that poem came about. So like I had my ex from high school. Mm, like so many exes. So many right? <laughs> my ex from high school, right? Like we like all through college and stuff we still went back and forth or whatever his baby mama fucking hates my guts Mm. hates my guts so (laughs) so um there had come to a point where like i was going back home and anytime i go back home we would link up and stuff like that of course and we i got a message on facebook talking about you win you know, and she was just like totally going off on me, talking about like he's always gonna love you, blah 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 blah, and like kind of threw it in my face that like she was his baby mom. So it really was like the most petty response to that was like, you know what, like the way you got them babies, because I ain't trying to put his business out Lisa there, but definitely talking, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I ain't trying to put his business out there, but I took his virginity. So like 
and that was really my response to her. It was like, mm. you know, all them things that he does that you love, you ain't to do mommy first. That's, like, that's a, a great like, <laughs> like that was like so that it was really like that's why I say that's like my ultimate petty poem. Yeah. But no, like legit, like that did that was inspired by that skit from that Kanye uh album because they was like, Yo, it'd be super funny if you did like a listen taught me poem and I was mm. like all right, let's try this shit. And so I did it or whatever. And you killed that. What What are your views on Kanye right now? No comment. No comment. <laughs> okay. 